We are in uh, a series on the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a fascinating, fascinating book. Um, and, and there's so, so many ways that the, the, the talk today, uh, I, I've had a chance to live through some of the uh, the ups and downs, it seems like, like I went from a very happy moment to a very sad moment to a very happy moment, very sad moment, and, and, and the book of Hebrews speaks to that. There's not a person in this room, not a person in this room, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're really rich or you're really poor, it doesn't matter if you're married or single, it doesn't matter if you're straight or gay, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or an atheist or an agnostic, Every single person in this room has problems. Nobody escapes problems. The people that you envy, the people whose life you want, they have problems. It's amazing to me how I think skinny people don't have problems. <laughs> but skinny people, they drink shakes to put weight on and... Fat people, we drink shakes to take weight off. And young people want to grow up and old people want to get young. Everybody's got problems. Nobody gets a problem-free ride. And some of you, some of you, you, you know what, you've gone through so much and you've hurt so deeply. And you look at somebody else and you think, why? It's so unfair that they get such an easy ride and I have been through so much. Well, you want to know something? The truth is they're not going through what you're going through, but I promise you, I absolutely promise you, they're going through something. Because everybody has problems. And then Paul comes to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And in essence, he's telling us this, that God is actually... Not surprised by your problems. And he's not even threatened by your problems. So much so that he said that he would work all things together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. He said, I'm, I'll, I'll turn there. He hasn't even blinked an eye. And yet your problem is sucking the life out of you. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I think he has like 30,000, if not 50,000 people in this church. And, and he wrote this book, and when it hit the book stands, it went viral. And um, it, it, in Canada, actually all around the world, and Rick Warren said in that one year, he said he made more money than he'll ever be able to spend. But in that very same year, his wife began her fight with cancer. And this is what he wrote. He said, no matter how good things are in your life, there's always something difficult that needs to be worked on. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there's always something good that you can thank God for. You can focus on your problems or you can focus on your purpose. You can focus on your problems and you're going to become self-centered. I'll go so far as to say narcissistic. People that are absolutely consumed by their own problems, no matter where your conversations start, it ends up on their ailment. 
No matter where the conversation starts, don't ask. We can be talking about the book of Revelation and it ends up talking about their toe fungus. <laughs> they cannot get over th their own pain. It makes you absolutely ingrown. And then he goes on to say the most effective way to working through your problems, and this is a man who knows problems, by the way, is to take your focus off yourself and to put your eyes on Jesus. Now, when I first read that, I'm going, really? That's simple, huh? That's that, that, that doesn't feel right. You know what? There's more to it than that. But that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says, exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. And the writer of Hebrews is speaking to people who have suffered more than most of us will ever suffer. He's speaking to people who survived uh, terrible persecution from the Emperor Claudius, the middle of the first century. And they were already going into a second round of persecution, which, which was more intense, more, more brutal than the first one. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this to them. I can see your pain. I know the problems that you're in. I can see the, the, the brutal reality that is yours. We're not denying it. We're not even rebuking it. He said, the only way to get through this is to set your eyes on Jesus. He's saying, don't lose heart because Jesus is everything that the Father wants to say to you. Jesus is everything that the Father wants to say to you in your pain. So look to Jesus. And the book of Hebrews gives us several metaphors for life. And metaphors are really important. If you ask me, I live and think in metaphors. Because the metaphors we're given in the book of Hebrews give us a picture of what we set our expectations on. It gives us an accurate kind of context for our expectations, and that's a big deal. And the first metaphor we get is in chapter 12, and it says that life is a race. Let's start reading in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. He said, let's run the race marked out for us. Now, the, the Greek word for this word race is a very strange word. It's the word agon. It's the word we get our word agony from. He's saying this, he said, that, that life is an agonizing race. He said, life is an effort. It's a conflict. It's a contention. It's a race. It's a fight. And he said that your race has already been marked out for you. It's been marked out for you by somebody who knows you, who knows your race better than you do. It's been marked out by the author and the finisher of your race. And so if you're going to look at anything while you're running this race, why not look at him, 
Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of your faith and the author and the finisher of your race. Now, some commentators, a lot of commentators, are, are pretty sure that the race that the author of Hebrews is talking about here is the pentathlon. And the pentathlon is like all of the Olympic events. You know, what is that? You know, where they run? I'm not sure what it's called when they do all of those events, but it's running, it's, 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 it's discus, it's javelin, it's jumping. But the climax of the pentathlon is, is a wrestling match. And the combatants would have this rough leather put onto their hands, and then they would just beat the crap out of each other. Okay? It was really first century UFC. It was, that's exactly what it was. And, 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 and the, the writer is intentionally, intentionally drawing a picture that life is a struggle and it's not easy and you're gonna get, have to get tough. Now, it's not a pretty picture. It's not a popular picture and it flies in the face of our feel-good uh, airbrushed culture. But it does give us a realistic expectation, which shows us that we're going to have to get to live a great story that God called you for, to run the great race God called you for. You're going to need courage. You're going to need courage. I, I was listening to a motivational talk. Um, a guy was speaking to a bunch of university graduates. And these kids were all the best of the best. There's a thousand of them in the room. And they all, want to, they, they, they all want to make millions and they all want to do great things. And this guy said, you know, what makes you think you're any better than the other thousand people in this room? And he said, the, 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 bigger, the bigger you're calling, the earlier you get up. He said, the bigger your dream, the bigger your vision, the earlier you get up. There is no shortcut. The person that's going to end up on top is nobody other than the person that works the hardest. He said, so you go to bed late and you get up early and you work and you work and you work. And these kids are not used to that. They wanted someone to give them a trophy before they even ran the race. They want to get a participation award and then be given a $100,000 job just to start because, because that's what they think they deserve. And, 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 and here also in the, 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 the right is saying, listen, to, to run your race, you're going to need courage. And you're going to have to get up when you don't feel like getting up. And you're going to have to push through pain and you have to stop whining and you have to stop grumbling and complaining about what's going wrong in your life. And the only way you're going to do that is you set your eyes on the one who marked out your race. If you actually believe and, 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 and you've come to this point in your life where you, you have faith in Jesus for a problem-free life, yeah, I'm sorry about that, that... That's one prayer that's probably not going to get answered. You know, you know that verse that says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? I don't even believe it. Because I want that pain-free life. I remember claiming that verse when I wanted to be a carpenter. See, out of high school, I just think being a carpenter, I think that's the coolest trade on the planet, personally. And I went into my, my I went, a guy, the carpenter took me on for two weeks. And he said, I'll check you out. I'll pay you for your time. 
And then, you know, I'll decide after two weeks if I'm going to take you on as an apprentice. The whole week, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All week, I can do all things through Christ. You know, I speak to the north and the east and the west. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my learning curve was steep. And at the end of two weeks, he gives me my check. This literally happened. And he says, Ed, you're a nice guy. He said, and you know what, of all the things you should give yourself to, the very last one should be carpentry. (laughs) He said, you've cost me a fortune this last two weeks. He said, you can't measure straight and you can't cut straight. And he said, and if you're going to hit the nail, hit the nail, not everything around the nail. So he said, yeah, I don't think this is going to work for you. What is that all about? God said, I could do all things through Christ. It's not true. Because that wasn't the race that was marked out for me to run. Do you understand? Just like exercise, this metaphor tells us a whole bunch of stuff. Just like exercise is absolutely necessary for an athlete athlete to fully mature. Listen to this. Brokenness through adversity is absolutely necessary for you to mine the best version of you and bring it to the surface. Hockey players don't get strong and fast playing hockey. They get strong and fast practicing and going to the weight room and practicing and going to the weight room and then they bring all of that to the game. For you to become the best version of yourself, you absolutely have to go through the process of being broken through adversity. I've never not had a mentor in my life. And one of the first qualifications for a mentor that I'm looking for is that they limp. That they have been broken. That they have suffered and that they've they've, they've endured, they've persevered. And they've experienced the goodness of God and the person of Christ through all of it. There were two maestros listening to a soprano sing. And and the one maestro said, her tone is utterly perfect. To which the second said, if only her heart were broken. If only her heart were broken. There's a, um, a brilliant Japanese artist uh, his, his, his gift is in pottery and people come from all over the world to try and study under him and he had this small group of students that were studying under him and, and, he, and he brought them together in the classroom and, and um, he gave them this special clay and he said, I want you to put all of your talent and all of your creativity into making a bowl. And so, so the students came together and they, and they worked on their bowls and they worked on their bowls. And then at the end of the day, he said, he said now, and I want you to take the, the, your, 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 your artistry and I want you to take your bowl and I want you to go put it in the kiln tonight and then bring it back tomorrow. I want everybody back here in the morning. And, and one student went home and he, 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 his bowl was spectacular. And he put it in the kiln when he went there in the morning. He was, he was, he was shocked. He was, it, it, it had broken into, uh, into a dozen pieces. And he, 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 he had failed. 
He didn't know what he did wrong. He was confused. And so he carefully put all the pieces into a, into a, into a box. And he, and he came back to class and he's sitting there and he's ashamed and he's confused. And finally he can't stand. He stands up and he said, I did everything right, but I failed. I did everything right, but my bowl broke. And the master just simply smiled and he said, I knew that was going to happen. Because the material that I gave you, I knew it couldn't handle the fire. I knew it had to break, but that's where all of our beauty begins. And he said, but the beauty we're going to create today will far surpass anything you could have imagined yesterday. And he invites that student to bring his box of brokenness to the front. And they, then the, 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 the sons say he, he opens up, he gets the pieces in order, and then he t- opens up a, 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 um, a container with molten gold, and he begins to brush the broken pieces with gold, and he glues it back together, and he creates a bowl that is so utterly beautiful, infinitely more beautiful than anything that it could have created otherwise. And that is part of the race that is marked out for you to run. There are times of brokenness. But you know what he does to the brokenness? He doesn't just redeem them. He doesn't just heal them. He makes them beautiful. They become part of your essence, part of your beauty, part of what makes you so wonderfully you. Difficulties are meant to rouse and not discourage. The human spirit is incredible, grows strong through conflict. Man, you know, if you never actually meditated on another, another phrase than that one, it would literally change the way you do life. If you actually believed that difficulties are actually opportunities to, 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 to gain strength, and you get a speeding ticket, woo, yes, flat tire, <laughs> yeah, you know what, you get in the wrong lineup at the grocery store, I think it's patience I'm working on, it changes, difficulties are meant to rouse, not discourage, because it's, it's, it's your spirit that grows so strong. And, and the human spirit, let me tell you something, is so powerful. And so my, my, my wife, her father died when he was in his 70s. He smoked his, whole, smoked his whole life, and he died of lung cancer. And all of his children, except for one, had come. And he, he was dying. And everybody's saying, you can let go. You can let go. Just let go. Let go. He was waiting for a phone call from his oldest son who lived in Dallas. And he hung on and he hung on. He hung on for an extra two days. And then the phone rang. And he heard his son talking to him on the phone. And he gave the phone back and he died. Your human spirit is so powerful. And so looking for opportunities to strengthen it, to, to, to enforce it, uh, to fortify it, is what happens when every time a conflict comes your way. 
Even though the metaphor of an agonizing race is a little bit morbid and difficult to kind of to stomach, um, it's important because of expectation and expectations are everything. When the wheels come off your wagon and you fail, when, when uh, doors close and difficulties come and plans don't work out and you get hurt, over half of the pain is due to the shock and the confusion and the self-pity that the thing happened at all because you didn't see it coming. You never expected hardship or pain or difficulty and so, oh, you get side, what do you call sidelined by it. Half of the pain comes from your inability to process what's happening because you didn't think bad things should happen to you. In fact, I think North Americans have such a low threshold for pain. Many cultures where they, they live every day knowing that they could die today, knowing that, you know what, it's a hostile place to live. They must look at our lives and go, you are, what? You put the wrong toenail polish on and you're really upset about that? Oh, poor. You know what? I'll tell you, this is a stupid story. We, 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 we were in, a, I was in Mexico a couple years ago, and we're just checking in. And there's this big kerfuffle going on at the check-in counter. The pool, which is usually 28 degrees, something went wrong, and it had dropped down to 25 degrees. This is the swimming pool. And these people are demanding their money back and they're going to another resort where the water's the right temperature. I'm going, wow, wow. We have such a low threshold for pain. So when circumstances come up, they rise up and they mess up your perfect plan. Messiness is a problem for us because we like to make sense of life. We're meaning machines. We're not comfortable unless we can actually knit together meaning of what's going on in our lives. And so we have this desperate need to find out meaning. And so when unexpected, unavoidable, unwanted things happen to us, we try to attach meaning to them. We become utterly disoriented until we can attach meaning to them. And my point is this is just because it's not your plan doesn't mean there is no plan. And sometimes we have to surrender our unknowing to him and trust him with our not knowing. Just because it's not your plan doesn't mean there is no plan. And he marked out a race for you and he's the author of it and he's the finisher of it. And sometimes we're going, Lord, I'm just going to stop wrestling and trying to figure out why and I'm trusting you with the why. Everything difficult in our lives, everything that seems overwhelming, points to a theory of life, to more than your theory of life can embrace. It points to something that is more than your theory of life can embrace. If, if, if every time you suffer, you melt down and you just freak out, it's because you, you, you don't see it as an opportunity to build and grow and become enlarged. You don't even th see it as God's using this to help you become a person that can manage life with more courage and more wisdom and more capacity. And when I use the term the theory of life, it's really asking this question, what is the meaning for your life? What is the 
energizing principle of your life. And for most Canadians and Americans, our, 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 our implicit theory of life or our explicit theory of life is to maximize our comfort and minimize our pain. If your reason for living is not to suffer, then suffering will destroy you. But if your reason for living is to make a difference, if your reason for living is to make a difference and to become a change agent and to leave people better than you find them, then, then you just know you're going to be stepping into conflict constantly and it doesn't undo you. If your meaning of life is to know Christ intimately and to, and to know his presence in your life, then problems will just push you into him. Your theory of life is everything. It's everything. It's what you learn to expect. And the writer of Hebrews is simply helping people enlarge their theory of life to say that, you know what? He is the author and he is the finisher. And all the stuff in between, he's bigger than that. He has more glory than it, more weight than it. Trust him. I'm going to invite um, the band to come on up. John Newton said this. He said, everything is necessary that he sends, and some, nothing is, can be necessary that he withholds. I don't even know if I believe that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I do, I, I, but it's cool. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. I'm on the fence, um, but I just put it out there. Henry Blackaby said so often, the truth of a circumstance isn't revealed till you get on the other side of that circumstance. Isn't that true? You, you, you don't even bother asking why. When you get on the other side, you seem to just simply know, oh, that's what that was all about. Do you remember when God told Moses, let, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go? Pharaoh goes, oh, I'll show him. And he says, make bricks. And he takes away half of their building materials. He said, I want the same quota met. And he, and, 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 he, and he made their lives even more difficult. Why did, why did God do that? He tells Moses, talk to Pharaoh. Moses talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes the people suffer even more. How does that make any sense? Except for when you consider this. 400 years in the same house. Israel had been there for 400 years. They didn't necessarily want to leave. They'd like some perks, but they didn't want to leave. And at the same time, the pressure's coming on. It's becoming unbearable. We got to get out of here. Now they have motivation to leave. And when they do get delivered, the glory of God and the miracle of deliverance is bigger than ever before. Jesus could have calmed the storm. Remember when he's sleeping in the back of the boat? He could have calmed that storm long before it had grown to tsunami proportions. But he let it get that big so the disciples would see the authority and the power and the weight and the glory of his words was bigger than all of that. We all live in the middle of a sentence. We all live in the middle of a sentence and your sentence might be 100 years and your sentence might be 30 years. We all live in the middle of a sentence. And so often we don't know what's at the beginning of our sentence, what's at the end of our sentence. 
For instance, have you ever had somebody hurt you? You don't know why they hurt you, so, so you, you simply fill in the blanks with your assumption. Oh, that's why, because I'm skinnier. Oh, that's why, because whatever. And then time goes by and you find out that they didn't even mean to hurt you. They didn't even know they hurt you. I'm so sorry. And now the story changes completely. And if you're walking through a difficult circumstance, if you're in the middle of a marriage breakup, if you're in the middle of a, a, a job loss, if you're in the middle of all kinds of stuff going on in your life, just recognize it's in the middle of the sentence. And I would encourage you to set your eyes on Jesus. He knows the beginning of the sentence. He knows the end of the sentence. He's the author and the finisher of your story. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those. You don't have to raise your hand. You know who you are. If you are in the middle of a really difficult situation, and your pain really draws a lot of attention to itself. And maybe in just obedience, if nothing else, to this word that you would say, Father, give me grace to look at you. Give me grace to take my eyes off of me and set it on you. Father, I want to pray for those who are hurting today, legitimately broken and hurting. I want to pray for those whose relationships have have been broken and they wonder if they'll ever be able to love or be able to trust again and Lord I pray that that picture of that beautiful bowl I pray that you would drop that right into our souls and that when you're finished with this season of our lives Father we'll be more beautiful than we could have ever imagined in the last season I pray for those that are failing at this time in their lives, whether it's work or whatever. I pray that, Father, we would learn to look to you and recognize that you're even going to use this. And I thank you, Father, that you work all things together for good. I thank you, Jesus, you are the author of the finish. I thank you that you began a good work, you'll complete it. And we put our faith and we put our eyes and we put our hope in your ability to get, get us through this season, in your ability to bring us through this season and leave us changed for your glory. In Jesus' name.